Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Hi, we want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church and to our virtual Easter service here in 2020. Now, I know that none of us planned to be celebrating Easter like quite like this, but as we celebrate Easter in this digital format, we want to thank you for joining us today. We want to thank you for worshiping with us. If there's ever been a time that we've needed the message of Easter, that we needed the meaning of Easter, we need it this year in 2020. And so we don't know why you're visiting with us today. You're perhaps a regular joining us. We want to welcome you. Uh, maybe you've got this link and you're joining us here on this broadcast today, and maybe you're not even a church attender, but you found our broadcast or someone recommended that you watch it or, or join us here on Easter Sunday morning, and we want to thank you uh, for dropping by and being with us for this worship gathering. Now today, I, I, I want, before we move into our Easter service, to just mention that today's a very special day, because today we're beginning what we're calling 21 Days of Prayer at Grace Crossing Church. For the next 21 days, beginning here on Easter, all the way through May the 2nd, we are inviting you to join us in prayer. And we're asking you that you join us in praying around 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their stubborn ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. We certainly believe in the power of prayer at Grace Crossing Church. We believe that when we do what God says and God invites us to do in praying and turning to Him and seeking His face and turning from our stubborn ways and humbling ourselves in humble dependence, we believe that God will keep His promise and will turn, will forgive our sins, and will heal our land. And so for the next 21 days, we want to invite you to join us at 714 every day. 7.14 in the morning and or 7.14 in the evening. And just taking a few moments to pray and seek God and ask Him to be with our hearts, to grow our souls and enlarge our souls during this time, and also to be praying for those who are struggling, that are suffering because of this pandemic, those who have already lost loved ones, who are not given the opportunity to properly grieve. Uh, for those that are fighting the virus today, for those on the front lines, our healthcare workers, our emergency uh, room workers, our clinics, um, and all those nurses and first medical responders, our professionals, and uh, and then our first responders out on the field, the uh, uh, the paramedics, police officers, and others who are responding to emergencies. We we want to hold them in prayer. Our governmental leaders, our government officials. Uh, there's a number of ways that you can join us in prayer, and we want to invite you to do that for 21 days. We also want to tell you that once a week, every Monday at 7.14 p.m., we're going to be having a prayer gathering by way of Zoom. And we're going to send out a text inviting people to join us for this. And we would love to have you on our list. If you want to know more about how to do that, how to be on our list of getting text messages and reminders, uh, just send a message to info at gracecrossingchurch.net and um, we'll respond with more information about how you can sign up to get our text messages. Now today I'd like to begin with the pain and the passion of the crucifixion. And then we're going to end with the promise of the resurrection. Since we didn't have a good Friday service this year, I spent some personal time walking with Jesus 
through the stations of the cross. I walked with Jesus through the different steps and the different stops along the road and along the way in his journey to Golgotha, a place known simply to the locals as the place of the skull or the place of death. That's the place where Jesus was executed. No two ways about it. This was a lonely journey for Jesus. As people have tried to characterize this pandemic we're in um, and the anticipated surge that's coming, some have used illustrations from nature. I've heard some people liken this pandemic to a tornado, which seemingly gains more and more strength as it moves across the surface of the earth. Others have likened it to a hurricane with its devastating wind and relentless rain. Still others have used the illustration of a tsunami which pulls back the water, swallowing it up before unleashing its surging wave of destruction upon the land. I think the illustration and the words of Quaker author Parker Palmer may capture it best in his book, A Hidden Wholeness. In his prelude, he uses the image of a blizzard to capture the season that I think we find ourselves in here this Easter. Let me read it to you. He says, there was a time when farmers on the Great Plains, at the first sign of a blizzard, would run a rope from the back door out to the barn. They all knew stories of people who wandered off and been frozen to death, having lost sight of home in a whiteout while still in their backyards. Today we find that we live in a blizzard of another sort. It swirls around us as an economic injustice, ecological ruin, physical and spiritual violence and pain, and their inevitable outcome, war. It swirls within us as a fear and a frenzy, greed and deceit, and indifference to the suffering of others. We all know stories of people who have wandered off into this madness and been separated from their own souls, losing their moral bearings and even their own mortal lives. Now, I suspect that that's exactly where the disciples found themselves as they hung between Good Friday and Easter. They were in a blizzard of sorts. They had lost their Messiah, and with it they had lost their spiritual footing. They were left wandering, grasping for a rope from the barn to the back door. In the seeming madness of Jesus' sentence to death, they were at risk of becoming separated from their own souls, losing their moral bearings, and feared that they might lose their own mortal lives. Now, St. John of the Cross, some 500 years ago, wrote about an experience that he called the dark night of the soul. Dark nights generally occur in two phases. Phase one is when we move from orientation to disorientation. It's when we move from what we have known, from our norms, from our rhythms, from our routines, and everything is turned upside down and we, in a sense, become disoriented. This is where we question almost everything. This is where we sometimes lose our faith in faith. We may question God's love or even his very existence. Our loosely held beliefs no longer seem capable of holding us up in the midst of our pain 
and our suffering. And then in the dark night of the soul, we move at some point, if we will stay with it, and if we will be faithful, we move to a second phase, which is when we move from disorientation into reorientation. This is where we find something deeper and more meaningful. Here our true selves begin to emerge, and we discover a faith that is more solid than our flimsy doctrines. Here we find God closer and we find God more personal than we have ever known him. Here our life begins to orbit around God and not the other way around. In some ways, friends, we are experiencing a first for most of us. We are experiencing a global dark night of the soul. During this pandemic, it feels like we have much in common with those first century disciples. We too have been scattered each to our own homes. We too feel as if this must be some sort of bad dream, wondering how soon that we can get back to our normal lives. We too are left longing and looking for something upon which we can place our hope. And we too feel a deep sense of bewilderment and isolation. Now, I think that word bewilderment perhaps best captures how many of us feel this Easter. We are perplexed and perhaps deeply confused. I suspect that word captures the way the disciples must have felt on Good Friday, perplexed at how Jesus could have been found guilty of crimes he did not commit, perplexed that the Jewish leaders have turned so adamantly against Jesus, who was considered a well-respected Jewish rabbi, perplexed that one of their own, Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, could have betrayed Jesus and broken his trust. Perplexed that the future that they had all envisioned was coming to a crashing end. Perplexed that they now too were in the crosshairs of the Roman government and the Jewish conspirators. Friends, we today find ourselves in some ways where the disciples found themselves. Isolated, scared, sheltered in place behind locked doors, uncertain about their, our immediate future. But the story of Easter doesn't end at the cross. It ends at an empty tomb. Make no mistake about it. Without first walking through death's door, we cannot walk into the promised new life on the other side. The disciples knew that full well. They understood that to enjoy the power of the resurrection, they would first need to endure the pain of the cross. Of the 12 disciples, 10 of them died for Jesus as martyrs. They counted it an honor to endure hardship for the name of Christ. So friends, this Easter, I want to challenge us to endure hardship for the name of Jesus and continue to identify with him in his suffering. Because as we're going to hear in just a few moments, there is a promise on the other side of that, a promise of new life that is made available to each one of us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So on this Easter Sunday morning, I want to share with you a message of hope 
In fact, I think the Gospels make something clear that there is only really one source of hope that we experience in this life, and that comes through the resurrection. That's what Easter is really all about. Easter is about resurrection, but Easter is also very much about hope. Those two are interconnected. And so today, let's talk about this subject that resurrection is what makes hope possible. All four of the Gospels tell the story of the resurrection, but I want us to drop into the story of John's Gospel, where together we visit the resurrection, the empty tomb, through the, through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, begin to tell us the story. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. A few verses later, the Bible says that after they visited the tomb, here's what happens, verses 10 and 11, the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped down to look into the tomb. On the one hand, I identify with the disciples who felt as though that the life that they had known in some ways was over. The life they knew with Jesus was over. And so they all kind of go back to their own homes. To them, the empty tomb had seemingly emptied their faith in God. But in other ways, I resonate deeply with Mary. She stands outside the empty tomb, weeping over the pain of all that had changed in just a matter of days. On Good Friday, I spent some time weeping, thinking about a, an empty church building that any other Easter would have been filled to capacity in three services with people. I realized that though we're not going to physically worship together here on Easter Sunday morning, um, we are still going to worship, but it will not be the same. The Christian life, as many of us have known it, has changed, at least for now. And it's okay to worship God with our weeping, just like Mary did. Tears are a God-given way to express our worship and our love for God, who remains unchanging even when everything in life has seemingly changed. Verses 12 through 13 of John's Gospel, chapter 20, says this, And she, Mary, saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The angels here seem to ask a pretty obvious question. Why are you weeping? However, I think it's a very insightful question. One this Easter that I think all of us must answer honestly. Let me ask you this Easter Sunday, are you in touch with your tears? 
In other words, are you able to name the source of your sadness even here on this Easter? Are you able to identify it? Do you know why you feel sad? Maybe why you're weeping? I think the promise of the resurrection is what makes hope possible. And I, and I think it, it does it in several, several ways. I think there's several things the resurrection offered to Mary Magdalene. It also offered to all the other disciples and it offers to it to us on this Easter Sunday in 2020 here in this virtual service. First of all, resurrection means that Jesus is very much alive but doesn't look exactly the same. John chapter 20 verse 14 says, Having said this, Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. I want you to think about that for a moment. Though God remains unchanged, our understanding and our relationship with God is ever-evolving. The way I know God today is different than it was when I gave my life to Him at the age of 16. It's different than it was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. In fact, it has changed from what it was a year ago, and I'll be honest, even a month ago. I have learned more about Him. I've grown to know God in a different way than I could have ever known Him before. Life will not likely look the same post-pandemic, and neither should our faith look the same. Secondly, resurrection requires us to adjust the way in which we commune with Jesus. I think we're really all learning that here this Easter, aren't we? We're learning how to commune with Jesus in a different way, in ways that are unfamiliar to many of us, that we're unaccustomed to, and they're giving us an opportunity to learn more about ourselves, but also learn more about Jesus. Verses 15 and 16 of John's Gospel, chapter 20. Jesus said to Mary, woman, why are you weeping? He repeats the very same question the angels had asked her. Whom are you seeking? Jesus asked. Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I find it very interesting that Mary did not recognize Jesus. Though he's standing right there in her midst, she doesn't see him the same way. He's different. Her eyes and her understanding have changed. His very presence and image had changed. It had been transformed. My journey uh, in my Christian faith has gone from Catholicism to evangelicalism, from worshiping uh, uh, with a crucifix to worshiping with an empty cross. And I often uh, find that my most meaningful worship occurs somewhere in the liminal space between the bloody cross and the empty tomb. In other words, there is a tension between 
Christ's death and his resurrection that holds me in my worship. Uh, there was a day when I, I couldn't see and worship with a crucifix. And, and then I, I only had the empty cross. But the reality is we need both the bloody cross and the empty cross and the empty tomb to have the full essence of what it's like to worship Jesus. This is actually where Mary found herself on that first Easter. Like us, Mary was caught off guard. The life she knew had ended, and she wasn't quite prepared for how different her life would become. Like us, Mary's norms were interrupted, and she was thrust headlong into a new normal, learning as she went. Like us, Mary wanted to worship on Easter, but she thought Jesus was gone forever. Like us, Mary needed to hear from Jesus. Mary needed the assurance that he still saw her and he still knew her. In her deepest moments, moment of sadness and sorrow, the unthinkable occurs. She hears her name being called but she is so overwhelmed with grief that she doesn't even recognize that it is Jesus that is calling to her. Let me ask you, and I want you to ponder this question this Easter. How might Jesus be calling to you? This Easter, how might Jesus be reaching out to you and calling you by name? And how might you be so occupied that you too are not willing and not able to recognize his gentle whisper. He's calling you. He's calling you to him. And the question this Easter is, are you listening? And can you hear his still small voice calling you by name? Finally, I think resurrection invites us to both hold on and to let go. Verse 17, Jesus said to Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. As soon as Mary recognized it was Jesus, she fell at his at his feet and she wrapped her arms around his leg and she held on for dear life. She had let him go once. She was not about to let him go again. Now, friends, listen, this Easter is really different for, for all of us. The way in which we worship here is, is different. There's no, there's no doubt about that. The way in which we connect with people is different. My wife and I were talking this week about how uh, both of us are missing the physical touch and physical affection from friends and family, just longing to be touched. It's different. The way we celebrate Easter with our families this year is different. We will not be with our biological family this Easter, and we're sad. It's different. And if we're not careful, here's what will happen. We will cling so tightly to what we had known before this pand pandemic that we will miss out on how God is coming to us and speaking to us right here and now this Easter. 
Psalm 46, verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I love that verse for many reasons, but one of the reasons I love that verse is that in the Hebrew, the word for be still is rapha, which means to let go of my grip. That's what Jesus wanted Mary to do on that very first Easter. She was clinging on to what she had known. And Jesus said, do not cling on to me. Do not hold on to what you had known before. Let go of your grip. Becoming still is our way of letting God, letting God of control and giving our, our control over to God, giving full control of our life to the one who holds the world in the palm of his hand. Some time ago, I came across a poem that I want to share with you. It was a poem written all the way back in 1985 by author Ronald Rollheiser. He wrote it actually and entitled it Mary Magdalene's Easter Prayer. And here are the words of the prayer. I never suspected resurrection to be so painful, to leave me weeping. With joy to have met you, alive and smiling, outside an empty tomb. With regret, not because I've lost you, but because I've lost you and how I had you. In understandable touchable, clingable flesh, not as fully Lord, but as graspably human. I want to cling despite your protest, cling to your body, cling to you and my clingable humanity, cling to what we had, cling to our past. But I know that if I cling, you cannot ascend. And I will be left clinging to your former self, unable to receive your present spirit. I love the poem because the poem speaks of exactly how many of us feel this Easter. We want to hold on to what we have known. We want to hold on to the way life was before the pandemic. The reality is, friends, we're going to have a new normal. And God is going to use this to give us a new normal. And we have got to let go of our grip to be willing to be still and trust in God, to let go of our control to a God who holds the world in his hands. So let me ask you two questions. To what are you holding on to tightly this Easter? Not wanting to release your grip for fear that you may lose it forever. And secondly, is there anything that you have let go that, that you have let go of during this pandemic that God may be inviting you to actually hold on to. Uh, perhaps you've let go of your spiritual rhythms and God wants you to get them back and hold on tightly to them. Perhaps you've let go of your faith or your discipline of worshiping God and God says, I want you to hold tightly to those things. Now in closing, let me say this. I think that resurrection invites us and Easter invites us to do th two things. First, I think Easter invites us to reaffirm our faith in Christ. So this Easter, wherever you are, let me ask you, have you anchored your faith in the Christ who left the tomb? Have you placed your hope in the resurrection and your faith in the resurrected Christ? I don't want to assume today that you're here visiting and joining us for this service, that you know Christ as your Savior. And I want to encourage you 
that in just a few moments as I pray a closing prayer that you'll give your heart and your life to Jesus if you've not already done that. Easter invites us to reaffirm our faith in Christ. But secondly, friends, I think Easter invites us to restore our hope in God. Easter invites us to restore our hope in God. Resurrection makes hope possible. Let me close with this verse and one final prayer. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Friends, that's what God offers to us this Easter. He offers to us through the resurrection his hope, and he wants it to radiate in our hearts and in our lives this Easter. So as I close in prayer, if you've never given your heart to Christ or today, perhaps you want to reaffirm your faith in Christ, I'd invite you to do that. As I share this final prayer from the book written by William Barclay called The Prayers for the Christian Year, Here's his prayer for Easter Sunday morning. O God, our Father, at Easter time we remember the great hope of eternal life which you have set before us. And we feel within our hearts the longings for goodness and for you. Grant that nothing may hinder the hope of eternal life from coming true and the desire for goodness and for you from being realized. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God's offer of hope through the resurrection is eternal life. And I know this has not fully been experienced yet. I think one of the things we're learning in this pandemic is we're learning how to have delayed gratification. That's really what eternal life is in many ways. It is delayed gratification of our faith. So this Easter, friends, my prayer for you is that your faith will be renewed, that your hope will be reaffirmed, and that your heart will come alive in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Resurrection makes hope possible. May you sit in the hope of Jesus this Easter. We love you, and we're praying for you as we continue to celebrate and worship God apart together. May God bless you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.